Hello. Welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for food. It's a space and a community uh, and a place where we're allowed to make mistakes with each other, like on this intro. Absolutely. Um, but it's also for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Yes. Each week, we bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another, and we are awake now yes. uh, after my <laughs> lovely little mistake there. Uh, and Damien, you're up this week. Uh, so what are you bringing to the table today? Absolutely. Um, so I have brought an incredible book to the table for us to talk mm-hmm. about today, and I'm super excited for us to talk about it. Um, as it follows our conversation from our last episode where we talked about the Supreme Court's recent ruling on student loan debt. Well, wait a minute. Uh I have actually lined up the Supreme Court justices. They're here today. Come on in. (laughs) Amy, go to Barrett. I'll talk to you first. I had to one-up you. Mm. Uh, No, I did not bring them. Uh, They didn't get back to you either. They didn't get back to me either. Yeah, Yeah. my email didn't work. (laughs) We need to get like a producer in here or something. Like a booking agent. That's right. We need that. We're we're bigly. This is episode 115. (laughs) Right. This is awesome. Uh, All right, back to it. It's legit. That's right. Uh, The book I've brought today is called Can't Pay, Won't Pay, The Case for Economic Disobedience and Debt Abolition. Mm -hmm. And it was written by our friends at the Debt Collective, which, as we know, is an organization and union of debtors that is working and fighting to cancel debt in all of its forms and really change the systems and institutions that produce debt, Mm. right? And so the Debt Collective, I think, has just a lot of expertise and experience with this notion of debt abolition. And I think this book really put that on full display. Yeah, Um, This book was published back in 2020. And um, yeah, it's still very relevant today, obviously. It's full of history, insight, wisdom around how debt abolition is a possible and necessary thing that we really truly need, I think, to have any shot at collective liberation. So um, I'm excited to talk about this book today and to sort of put things in context or like to kick off our conversation. I, at the very end of finishing the book, I saw that it had a jacket and it had a really Mm -hmm. great sort of, I don't know what those things are called, introduction, a note about what the book, a summary uh, of the book. And so I wanted to sort of bring that here because I thought it would be a good sort of jump off point for our conversation. So the jacket says this, debtors have been mocked, scolded, and lied to for decades. We have been told that it is perfectly normal to go into debt, to get medical care, to go to school, or even to pay for our own incarceration. We've been told There is no way to change an economy that pushes the majority of people into debt while a small minority hoard wealth and power. Mm. The coronavirus pandemic has revealed that mass indebtedness and extreme inequality are a political choice. In the early days of the crisis, elected officials drew up plans to spend trillions of dollars. The only question was, where would the money go and who would benefit from the bailout? The truth is that there have there has never been a lack of money for things like housing, education, and health care. Millions of people never needed to be forced into debt for those things in the first place. Armed with this knowledge, a militant debtors movement has the potential to rewrite the contract and assure that no one has to mortgage their future to survive. Mm-hmm. So I, I just thought that was kind of brilliant and really uh, yeah. a great place to sort of start our conversation. Again, fantastic book. Mm-hmm. I'm super excited to talk 
to you about it. So yeah, yeah. we're gonna start. Oh, I love this book. It's yeah. so good. It turns like that that what you just read um, is a great example of how I think it turns everything we've collectively come to accept. Um, about the financial systems that we participate in, the, and what we pay for, what we choose to go into debt for, yes. what what we don't choose to go into debt for because it is uh, the only choice mm. is to do the thing and go into debt or to not do it at all, um, which sometimes means uh, dying, right? Right, like, yes. Uh, mm. So I, I think it just, it names the ways that those systems operate and give space for there to be another way. Absolutely. Uh, and I think it's, it's just so good at doing that. Um, so in the introduction, it lays out how student loan debt uh, has exploded right. right over the last 60 years. Yeah. Um, so this is a great example of, of the ways that it flips what we know and accept to be sort of permanently true uh, on its head. So in 1960, student debt was not a measurable figure. It was zero dollars. Yep. 1960, mm -hmm. right? Um, because we were publicly funding higher education. In 2000, it was $200 billion, mm -hmm. which that's a lot of money. Yes. It's a lot. Uh, in 2012, it hit $1 trillion. Yes. Uh, that's, uh, if, you're, if you're counting at home, that's a lot more money. Absolutely. Um, and in 2020, when this book was released, it was 1.7 trillion. Uh, I did Google real quick and just to see like where we're at today, and it has slowed down a lot, like in terms of growth, um, because of the measures that have been in place uh, regarding the pandemic. That's right. Uh, and pauses and stuff, um, interest rate pauses, all those things. So it's slowed a little bit. Right. But um, if I'm not mistaken, it's still in the trillion. Trillion is still there. Oh, correct. Yeah, it hasn't yes. shrunk. Yeah. <laughs> it just hasn't grown as much. Right. It's I think I think I read it's 1.78 great trillion. Great. great, um, great. So uh, one of the things that they say in the book is, quote, over the years our society has moved from a welfare state to a debt fair state. Mm. With what should be publicly financed goods universal health care, higher education, treated as individual debt obligations. And so this is what we mean when we talk about neoliberal capitalism. This is what I think about when I yeah. think about neoliberal capitalism. It's the individualization of public goods. Right. Um, and I want to bring one more line from the introduction because I think this is another example of why this book is so great. This book isn't just about the problem of debt. It is also about how to fight back. Yes. Uh, and they talk about that throughout uh, and it's so, yeah, it's just great. Uh, it, it flips, it flips everything on its head and it's, um, wonderful for that. I yeah. Think. I mean, th th there's honestly so much in what you just shared that I, I love. I think all of that sits at the core of why this book is so important, why the work that the debt collective is trying to do is so critically important, right? Mm -hmm. Like this idea that student loan debt wasn't a measurable figure in the 60s. And as you say, the 60s yep. was not that long ago, right? right? But we're this close to it being $2 trillion. I mm -hmm. mean, it's just, that's just an, uh, an unfathomable figure, right? I, don't, I can't comprehend <laughs> that yeah. figure, right? Uh, just from when it was zero back in 1960s, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the other thing I think that you said that I think this book analyzes so brilliantly is this, like so much of our lives are wrapped up in and consumed by capitalism, right? And so yeah. debt is just this thing that we have certainly come to accept, right? We have mm -hmm. to live with. Um, and 
And I love what you said there, right? Like so much of our lives are wrapped up in this, right? And it's it's really the, it, it, there are decisions that people have to make based off of mm-hmm. their debt and around money um, that are really sort of life or death mm-hmm. at times, right? And I think that this book sort of brings that into focus, right? Um, with lots of different examples and lots of great analysis. And so um, I, I love that. I also love that they talk about the conditions that lead people to where they are, the economic conditions that lead people to where they are, right? Um, to be just financially handicapped, right? To be mm-hmm. financially vulnerable, um, right? Where they're making these decisions about where and how they may eat or not eat, right? Like how they're going to pay for, I have to make a decision to pay for the roof over my head or medicine for my child, right? Yeah. Um, if I'm sick, I can't afford to go to the doctor, right? So I'm just going to plow through and hope I get better, right? These are truly awful decisions that people are being forced to make because of their debt and because of their financial yeah. situation. And it shouldn't be that way and i think yeah. that's their point like it shouldn't be that way but it but it is right? yeah or the the choices aren't necessarily that you don't do those things right that but you have you you do the things you have to do and then you go further into debt yeah and it costs you more money than it ever should have Absolutely. in the first place yeah um that's also right. a choice so, that people make yes and and that's a whole other level of of stuff right like of um financialization Yes, as they call it. Yes, um, yeah. It it absolutely doesn't have to be the way that it is, and you know, and in certain ways, and they talk about this in the book, the way that the sort of system of financialization has developed over the last 40, 50 yep. years or decades, so. Yep. Um, uh, like it, it hasn't always been the way that it is now, right? Right. Uh, and so there there have been shifts in in making it more sort of individualized burden. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, stagflation, like all these things have a lot to deal with that as well. So another piece of this was um, they talk about sort of debt and the stress of money or, or lack thereof, honestly, yeah. um, is a huge impact on us. Absolutely. Um, and so if you think about it and, and they show statistics for this, we've seen our productivity collectively skyrocket, right? But our wages have remained about the same. Mm. Um, so we're creating more wealth for the already wealthy, mm-hmm. um, and we're not allowed to keep much for ourselves, um, which means working harder does not produce more income. Yes, generally speaking, right? Um, so many of us could work forever, like work forever. Yes, um, never stop working, and I we wouldn't make more money. Um, and so there's a myth blown to pieces, right? That hard work means good money. Yes. Uh, and so that's not necessarily the case. No. Um, but I think another, so the book quotes, uh, the CDC, which quote warned that working class people were at the highest risk of premature death mm. in 2016, a study showed that the richest American men now live an average of 15 years longer than the poorest 1% of the population. So we're not making as much as we should be, um, like, you know, if, Productivity is actually tied to wages. We would collectively be making more than twice what we are. Um, and we have to pay for more things uh, with those stagnated wages. Right. Like higher education, which 60 years ago wasn't something that we paid for individually. Yes. Um, and those things that we're paying for have become more expensive. Um, and so all of this is just chronic stress of figuring out how to make ends meet, figuring out how to make these 
you know, budgets work out, how to balance your own personal finance books. Right. Right. And then we can't pay for the healthcare to manage the problems that stem from the chronic stress, which all leads to shorter lifespans for regular people who aren't super wealthy and have to make these decisions yeah. constantly every day, every week of how does, how does the X amount of money that I get in my paycheck add up to all of these bills? Yes, all these expenses um, that I have. All of these expenses, all of this debt that I'm incurring, yeah. um, which has a, a growing bill right associated with it. right uh so and not to mention you know the notion of saving right and right, right and luxuries mm -hmm. right like the idea of just taking a vacation like these things that people aren't able to do um if they're if they, these wages are stagnant right and the the cost of just the cost of living has exponentially grown mm -hmm. um yeah i i was particularly drawn to sort of that part of the book and this idea and the connections that exist between stress and health and, and wealth and health, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, the web there is, it, it's a critical connection to make. It's a critical concept. I think it, it impacts all of us, right? Like we are all, we are all consumed by money, right? We are, we always are thinking about money, right? It's a, it's a huge part of our lives. So um, yeah, I think that was, that's a great takeaway from this book. Um, one of the other things that I highlighted in chapter one, um, which I think will resonate with everyone listening to this podcast right now, uh, they say, quote, the fact that employers refuse to provide living wages enables creditors to loan more money with interest to desperate workers. In this sense, our bosses and lenders collude to rob us twice, first by underpaying us and then by charging us interest to borrow the money we need to make ends meet. Mm. Right. Like that's such an incredible insight into sort of what's happening here. It connects to what you talked about. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think one of the things that this book also illuminated for me is this idea. Right. You talked about individualism. Right. And um, but the reality is the we're all facing this. We're all experiencing this in some way. Right. And so, I, you know, there have been times in my life where I have literally lived paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Right. Um, and I have had like insurmountable credit card debt. And that is just not a way to live. Like the stress, the burden, the weight on my shoulder that I had to think about like how I was going to just live a life, not above my means by any stretch of the imagination, right? Just live and also get out from under this debt. I mean, that was difficult, right? And mm -hmm. it and it's even harder for lots more people, right? And it's so that's not a situation that's unique to me by any yeah. means. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's another thing that I love about this book and this work that the Debt Collective is doing to try to sort of show us all that we're all in this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, so many people are working um, and, um, you know, they're not making enough, right? Like we, yes. we talked about that. Wage, wages haven't kept up with productivity. Um, and especially when you're getting started in your career, those entry level positions in large cities like aren't paying what they should be. Right. To be um, able to live in said city. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's just, um, yeah, it's just terrible. Um, and I think, you know, it sort of leads me to think, how, how do we get to a different place? And one of the themes here on the podcast that we, um, have, I think, is that we all have to dream of the world we deserve, the world we need to actually meet our needs. Yes, right? yes. Um, so this quotation I pulled speaks direct, 
directly to that. Um, they said, quote, it is time to expand our imaginations of what's possible, moving beyond idealizations of a welfare state to what we might call a solidarity state. Yes. A state that not only redistributes resources to beneficiaries, but also democratizes control over how these resources are produced, allocated, and managed, um, which I think is so spot on. Um, like imagine if our programs were organized around meeting people's needs, whether that's food assistance or healthcare or housing, just that simple change in perspective um, changes the whole system right. from something you have to learn how to navigate again and again to something that's a clear, simple path yeah. um, for accessing things that you need. Yeah, something you can rely on. Yeah, yes. and you know there aren't obstacles for the sake of there being obstacles. Um, you know, and shout out real quick to former Florida Governor, uh, current Florida Senator Rick Scott, who had mm. his administration deliberately make websites more difficult to use so fewer people would have access to aid. Uh, thanks so much for that. Isn't that um, wild? Yeah, there's a special place for you to go yes. uh, later on. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so... There doesn't need to be means testing or needs testing, um, which we've seen get implemented for things like student debt relief and right. for other programs. Uh, we can just sort of meet people where they're at. And we know that we have the money um, because uh, the Pentagon spends it and doesn't pass a, an audit mm -hmm. um, ever. So, you know, uh, there's there's money. We just choose to spend it on, um, I don't know, bomber planes that never get built and munitions we send across the world yes. for people to murder each other. Like there's, there's money. There's we, money. We have it. There's money. Um, and I, I particularly like the idea that you bring up around the bureaucracy of things, right. And the ways in which we make things difficult. Like we are both well-educated people, right. But there mm -hmm. are times where you are, you are on a website and it's just like, I don't understand, right. Or you're trying to fill out some paperwork or understand a process. And it's like, this shouldn't be as complicated as it is. Right. Right. And I think about all, all of my friends who have to, who have, you know, worked through the student loan <laughs> repayment and the pauses and right. Like yeah. hearing those conversations, it's like, it shouldn't be this difficult. Right. No. It really shouldn't. Um, and yeah. so, I, I love the connection to what we talk about here in the podcast. I love what they talk about as debt abolition, right? In the intersections mm -hmm. of all that we talk about and how important this is um, and how important it is for us to dream about the world we need mm -hmm. and deserve. That's, that's great. Um, all right, well, let's shift gears here and talk about application, right? Like what are we going to take away from this conversation here at the table, this incredible book yeah. uh, and apply to our everyday lives. Um, I think this book makes a clear and convincing case for debt abolition, right? And the need for all of us to get behind that. Um, I think at the core of that is this idea that people deserve to be able to live a decent life, right? And as you say, sort of have their basic needs met, mm -hmm. right? Like period. And so when I was thinking about application, I pulled this quote from the book that I think really sums up the sort of the why and the how of this work. They say, quote, we need a politicized block of debtors that can go beyond discrete actions and build enduring collective power. Debtors unions can and should make a range of immediate demands from caps on interest rates to write downs or full cancellation of all manners of debt, including credit cards, student loans, and mortgages from eliminating racist lending practices to a ban on money bail and extractive criminal punishment fees, mass debt cancellation, what has long been called a jubilee, would be a significant victory, but only if coupled with a deep, durable shift in the distribution of political and economic power. 
If debtors are strategic enough, we can help rewrite the social contract so it centers what we call a reparative public goods. Public goods that ensure our collective well-being by centering the repair and redress of intergenerational theft of land and livelihood from native, black, and brown communities. By prioritizing redress and repair, we can win free and universal education, housing, and health care. No one should have to go into debt to meet their basic needs, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's it, right? And all of that, I think that really connects to a lot of what we talked about today. But um, this idea of no one should have to go into debt to literally put a roof over their head and food in their stomachs and and to live this decent life, um, mm-hmm. I think is is the is the takeaway for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so good. Um, yeah, eliminating racist lending lending practices. Yeah, like, yeah. It's just so much. Um, it makes me think about the ways that um, people have argued against student debt by saying like, "Well, we'll just be back where we are right now in ten years." It's like, well, yeah. Like you get rid of student debt, and then you also think about how to like leverage uh, public finances, public monies for higher education so that right. we don't get back here. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it, it takes effort. It takes work. It takes thought. It yeah. takes planning. But like, it's mm-hmm. all possible and mm-hmm. it's all necessary. Yeah. yeah. We can go back and undo what Reagan did. That's that, you know. Um, that's, yes. <laughs> that's a very shortcut to a long, <laughs> long conversation. But uh, anyway, um Reagan is the root of a lot of uh, things that are wrong with our world today. Uh, That's maybe a conversation for another time. I like it. My application for the week (laughs) is this quotation from the beginning of chapter five, which is titled uh, The Future of Finance, Economic Disobedience and Reparative Public Goods. Okay. Um, And they say, quote, our debt is a nonviolent weapon we all have access to if we can leverage it in concert. So throughout this book, they talk about debtors unions and the ability of people to join their debt together to exert influence on the banks. Um, And this has been useful throughout history and across the world. Um, Earlier in the same paragraph, they mentioned how debt is connected across the world through the banks that hold the debt. So people Mm -hmm. in Ferguson are connected to people in Greece and they're connected to people in Puerto Rico through their debt. Yeah. Um, So if we can be an organized entity of debtors, a union, Uh, then we can control how and if we need to pay back that debt because we just stop paying it. And, um, you know, banks sell debt all the time for pennies on the dollar. Absolutely. Uh, And so that can be something that uh, just happens. Absolutely. Yeah. There, this book gives us, um, sort of tangible things to think about and, and ways to sort of reimagine what it is that we're doing. Um, and so I, I love that. I think that's mm. great mm-hmm. application. I love when our applications are in sync. That's good. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's see if our homework syncs up. <laughs> what do we want to do for homework once we leave the table uh, today? I, for one, am going to take some time to recommend this book to everyone that I know, right? Mm. I think, I really think this was excellent. (laughs) I think everyone should read this book. It's not that long, uh, but it's just, there's so many brilliant takeaways and they, again, they make such a compelling case and argument for debt abolition that I think lots of folks could really get behind and get on board with. So 
I just want to share this book within sort of my sphere of influence as one thing. I also, you mentioned uh, Greece, uh, and that made mm-hmm. me think about how I want to spend some more time. I want to go back and reread some sections of this book that highlight the the situations in other countries, yeah. right? They, they did such a great job illuminating how debt has played a role in places like Greece, the United Kingdom, uh, Bolivia, uh, Ethiopia, right? And, and, and so many other places. And some of those uh, situations were new to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and certainly there's a lot that I think we could we could learn from them. So I want to yeah. sort of reread those sections. Also, you know, do some internet research, right, and and see what more I can learn about those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Um, so there's a really great further reading section at the back of this book. Nice, uh, yes, that has a good. bunch of books and articles to read um, to learn more about debt and yes. uh, the economic systems we find ourselves in. Um, a couple of things I want to highlight is uh, "Debt: The First Five Thousand Years" by David Graeber, uh, which takes a look at um, the ways that debt has existed throughout a big chunk of human history. 5,000 years. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And Strike Debt also has the Debtor's Resistance Manual, which contains practical information, resources, and insider tips for individuals dealing with the dilemma of indebtedness in the United States today, and also introduces ideas for those who have made the decision to take collective action. Um, I have flipped through that a little bit and looked through. um, There's sections on credit card debt there's sections on student loan debt there's sections on medical debt i think um and they literally give you options for things you can take wow so not all of it's like oh i can take this and like immediately go do whatever it is of course sometimes it's i need to take this to a lawyer yeah um a lot of the ways that people get out of credit card debt is that there's some violation of the contract from the credit card company. Mm. Um, and so they don't follow through on their end of the deal, right. um, which means that contract is null and void. So the debt then becomes a negotiation. Yes. Um, so that wow. was, that was in the credit card debt section. Yeah. Um, so it's a whole other fascinating um, kind of insight into how you can sort of, you know, manage and, and work through your debtedness absolutely indebtedness yeah absolutely oh that's great yeah i didn't have time i, I just finished the books so i didn't have time mm-hmm. to keep going and look at the the further reading section so i'm glad you brought that up thanks for that reminder yeah. and uh those sound like incredible resources we should yeah. talk about those more <laughs> maybe bring them to the table i yeah. like it uh all right aaron my friend you're up next time mm-hmm. what are you bringing to the table in our next episode um well maybe connected to this yeah <laughs> this week i'm bringing a documentary called class dismissed okay um it was released back in 2005 so it's you know it's got some age on it uh in terms of documentaries as how they go um but the analysis in it i think feels completely relevant to today yes um so here's a piece of the description Quote, class dismissed breaks important new ground in exploring the ways in which race, gender, and sexuality intersect with class, offering a more complex reading of television's often one-dimensional representations. 
The video also links television portrayals to negative cultural attitudes and public policies that directly affect the lives of working class people. Yes. Um, and we watched a trailer earlier today to sort of, uh, you know, verify that this was going to be a good choice um, to bring here and talk about. Um, and it's got a lot of great people in it being interviewed um, who bring up a lot of really great insight and analysis into um, media and its portrayal of working class people. Um Across all spectrums. Yes. Um, and so I think it's going to be a great discussion about the limited ways that class is portrayed uh, in in our media. Absolutely. And where can folks find this great documentary? Oh, yeah. We, that. We're watching it on Canopy. Yes. Um, Bringing it back. Again, a great platform featuring a lot of great stuff just like this. Absolutely. Very good. Well, I'm excited to, to watch it and talk about it in our next episode. Speaking of, this is probably a good time to mention that we're going to take two weeks off and we'll be back with this episode about Class Dismissed on August 16th. Support your local libraries. That's right. Hey. Uh, well, with that great endorsement, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow us, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with everyone you know, follow us on the socials, including the TikTok and the YouTube. Mm. Uh, sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>